0: Today we are walking through Matthew chapter 13, and if you're just joining us, we are going through an introductory series on the Gospels. And we started with the Gospel of Matthew, we're walking through chapter by chapter, pretty much line by line, looking at the history and the culture and the background. Because my heart is really to make sure that you understand all the things that the original readers would have understood Because while scripture was written for us, it was not originally written to us. It was written to an ancient people group that had a different understanding than we have with our Western modern mindset. And so if you would like to dive a little bit deeper, we have some additional resources in addition to the podcast. We have journaling pages that help you kind of just process everything that you're reading. We also have family discussion guides and a kid's podcast that everything kind of works together so you can use that for your family devotions or just to have some dinnertime conversations. And the goal with that is really to help you grow together spiritually as a family. You can check the show notes for links to all of those resources. And then if you would like to dive a little bit deeper and you need some help unpacking some of the things we talk about on the show, you can also schedule some one-on-one time with me. You can go to shehears.org for that. So we are in Matthew chapter 13. We're just doing the beginning part of Matthew chapter 13 today, and I'm reading from the NIV. It says, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So the parable of the sower is probably one that you're familiar with that you've heard taught a lot of times. And there are some things that are very self-explanatory. And of course, Jesus goes on to explain some things. But there's also some things that Matthew's original audience would have really already known that sometimes we miss. And so it starts off by saying Jesus went out of the house. So if you think back to Matthew chapter 12, what we studied yesterday, Jesus had been teaching inside of a house. And now in 13, Matthew narrates that Jesus comes out of the house to teach the crowds. And so later what we see, this is called the parables discourse. What we see in the parables discourse is that Matthew indicates that Jesus leaves the crowd and goes back into the house. And that's where he will explain his parables to the disciples. And so the changes of location help us understand this idea of hiddenness and revelation that we see throughout the parables discourse. And so revelation comes to the true followers, the true family of Jesus, the ones that are doing the will of God. Revelation meaning the understanding of these parables. And it's for those who are following Jesus in discipleship. The kingdom, because it is unexpected and different than what they were expecting, that remains kind of hard and vague for them to understand for those that are not following Jesus closely, that are not his disciples, and their hearts are kind of callous. And it it talks about them closing their eyes in verse 15. And so what we're seeing here is while these words are available to everyone, sometimes it's only the ones that are truly following Jesus that are his disciples that are going to truly understand them. And so it starts off by talking about Jesus getting into this boat. There are such large crowds at this point that have gathered around him. There's a lot of curiosity around him. They want to see him healing. They want to hear what he has to say, that Jesus goes and he gets in a boat and he puts a little bit of distance between him and the people. And one of the things I always like to mention in this passage of scripture is this idea of boundaries. And there are other reasons for that that we're going to get into in a minute, But it's this idea of boundaries. Why did Jesus get in this boat? Why didn't he want to be close to the people? Well, if you think about it, the amount of people that have come at this point, they're large crowds, not just crowds, but large crowds, They are scammering to get close to Jesus and for him to be able to meet the people's needs and serve them because what they really need is not necessarily this one on one conversation where they touch him. He wants to be able to teach them and speak to their hearts and their minds and their spirits for them, for him to be able to give them what they truly need. He has to give himself a little bit of distance. There has to be a boundary there. And, you know, I think in ministry, sometimes what we do is we pour out and pour out and pour out. And I'm not even saying this just for ministry leaders. Maybe this is happening in your own life where we continue to pour out and it gets to the point where it is so draining and it's more than we can handle. Sometimes we need to take a step back and we need to put a little bit of distance between us and the people we are called to serve in our circle of influence. And we see that example of Jesus over and over. He had really good boundaries. But the other reason why he did this was basically acoustics. And so as he got in a boat and he sat in it and all the people stood on the shore, there's this local tradition that locates this place of this discourse or these parables discourse at a very distinct place. It's an inlet called the Cove of the Parables. I wonder how they got that name. So it lies about a mile and a half southwest of Capernaum, and it's halfway to the traditional site of where the Servant on the Mount was. And so the land slopes down almost like a natural horseshoe-shaped amphitheater around this cove, providing, honestly, the best environmental acoustics that you could probably get for Jesus's voice to be amplified and carried over a 100 meters from the boat to where the crowd is sitting. And there's probably hundreds of people at that point on the shore. And what's interesting about this is Israeli scientists have actually tested the acoustics In modern times at this location, and they found it to be very realistic for the parables of Jesus would have been able to be heard by the crowd because of where he was in the water, where he was in this boat, and the way that that would have echoed and reverberated across this horseshoe-shaped area. Very, very smart. And so this idea and this parable that we're starting with, the sower and the seed and the soils, there were Jewish leaders and teachers that have taught this and something similar to this in similar ways. And they have continued to teach this since the time of Jesus, because parables illustrate teaching in a way that provoke people to think about things in a new way. It's a really common way that we see Jesus teaching. And in the New Testament, though others use illustrations, it's not until after the time of Jesus that we see them using parables. Jesus is the only one that uses these story parables, as they're called. And so later rabbis developed these fuller story parables, almost like a curriculum that were similar to those of Jesus, though theirs, they would have been geared for a higher scale audience that was more for like the royal courts or basically there would be less agrarian or like farming image and more talking about wealth and and royalty, those kinds of things. But it's interesting because the way we see Jesus teach, we recognize his heart for the people because within the entire Roman Empire, most of the people that lived within that empire at that time frame, they were peasant farmers or sheep herders. And so the literate people were the elite people. And they often ignore this population. So even if they had been teaching in this this way, shape, or form, it would not have been geared for this audience, and it wouldn't even made sense to them because they did not have an understanding of what that royal culture embedded in, into those lessons. And so we see Jesus, who has a heart, and he t- teaches frequently among this working class of peasant farmers, sheep herders, and those that are living basically in poverty. And then it talks about how Jesus told them many things and parables. And we're going to be studying the parables over the next couple of weeks, but the parables are used frequently by Jesus because there would be situations where he would have confrontations with his opponents. And in this chapter thirteen, we have the greatest concentration of parables. But Jesus would use those parables even to argue. And people didn't even realize that he, that he was giving them an argument because they didn't quite understand what he was saying. And again that understanding that revelation was given to the disciples, the ones who are actually following Jesus. And so he uses these eight parables, and then he interprets three of them within this parables discourse section. And he uses the parables to teach a lot about how the kingdom is tied to its hidden nature. Well, what does that mean? And why would it say hidden? Well, there are situations where people will try to attack the man of God or the woman of God or the person that is trying to share the gospel message because their heart isn't right. It's not until they sincerely want to follow Jesus that some of these things are revealed. And so it's interesting that we see this even in the very beginning where Jesus is almost trying to separate out who are the people that actually want to learn this stuff and who are the people that are here out for curiosity's sake because they want to see a miracle or they want to see you know, what's going on. They want to be with the in crowd. He's looking at this We've been talking about this for weeks now, this heart posture of righteousness. And his will, of course, is that everybody would come to understand and follow him. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. People have calloused hearts, like he says, they have calloused hearts where they're calloused against him. And so the, this first parable is picturing a farmer sowing seed to gain a harvest. And three of the four soils that receive the seed produce no lasting plants. And of course, that means there's no harvest. Only the good soil that we learn about in verse 8 is the one that produces a harvest. And so the emphasis of this parable of the soils lands not just on the farmer, But on the preparation of those soils. And so as Jesus will explain in the interpretation later in this chapter, the seed refers to this message, this gospel message about the kingdom. And the soils represent the four different responses that we typically see to it. And honestly, those are pretty typical from that point of time all the way to now, we kind of see the same thing happening. And so as believers, who are we? Well, in this scenario, we would be the farmers, and it is our responsibility to sow the seed, to share the gospel. And I think it's important, as we will learn throughout this passage, that we cannot control the outcome. First of all, God and his timing are responsible for the preparation of the soil. And our role is to be responsible with the word, with the message he's given us, and we have to trust that God will do what only he can do with that seed once we have released it. And I think that gives us some freedom because I think sometimes, especially as a young believer, one of the things that would be so difficult for me is not understanding why. Sometimes I would share the gospel and, you know, I'm an evangelist at heart. My heart is to always share the gospel no matter where I'm at. And so whether it was in, you know, Africa somewhere or in a big city somewhere or the local church, Every time I would teach and minister the gospel, I would give an opportunity for a prayer of salvation so people could come to faith in Christ, if that's what the Lord was prompting them to do. And sometimes I would have every single person respond favorably to the gospel, and sometimes I would have zero people respond favorably to the gospel. And I just did not understand that. And I would rack my brain and think about different creative ways to present the gospel. And it wasn't until I really started sending this passage where I realized that I am not responsible for the outcome. And I think the beauty in that is that not only am I not responsible for when they don't choose to follow Jesus, I'm also not able to take the credit for when they do. And I think sometimes, especially if you have an evangelistic heart, there is a temptation to carry some pride if people are responding favorably to the gospel, because of course you think, wow, I'm a great orator. I'm a, you know, I, I spoke so eloquently. No, it has nothing to do with me. I am just sharing this message that God has given us. It has everything to do with the preparation of the soil and how God has moved upon the hearts of those people. And so if we don't take the credit, we also can't take the blame when things don't go the way we anticipate or we hope. And I, And I just hope that gives you a little bit of freedom. And then it says that Jesus speaks to the crowd. And it's interesting that it's talking about how he speaks to the crowd. Not It does not say that he teaches the people. Because at this point, this crowd is not necessarily teachable. Now, the disciples are teachable. And when he goes back in the house, he teaches the interpretation of this to the disciples. But the crowd themselves, they're not teachable yet. And so he speaks to them and he has it available for them, but they're not necessarily receiving that word in their hearts. And I think that's also important to remember because not every audience that you speak to, whether it's an audience of one or an audience of a hundred or a thousand, not every audience is going to have a teachable heart. And that really doesn't have to do with you. It has to do with them. I mean, let's let's face it. Great, Jesus was the greatest preacher and teacher of all time. And if there were people that weren't even receptive to him when he was there in the flesh, performing miracles and speaking and teaching and preaching, if there are people that were not receptive to him, there, of, of course, are going to be people that are not receptive to us. So it's interesting what happens to the seeds you know they would kind of broadcast the seeds that's how they would sow seeds. they would kind of just scatter them in all directions and they would do that by hand while walking up and down a field or sometimes they would have a a sack of seeds on an animal that would walk up and down the row. but it was done you know not by a machine or how you know we would do it now. it wasn't methodical it was just broadcast and it was scattered and what would happen is there would be a lot of wasted seed. sometimes. The average rate of sowing wheat varies from about 20 pounds per acre up, which means there was a lot of wasted seed. And the fields would have been plowed right before the seed was sown, and then they would plow it again after. And the plowing across the original rows would cover the seeds with soil. The depth of plowing on your wheat seed was about one to three inches, and it could be less in certain areas where the top soil was perhaps more shallow or, you know, be deeper if it was deeper. But in general, it'd be about one to three inches deep. And the way that the rabbis would teach about this is they would talk about plowing and sowing, meaning the plowing would always happen before the sowing, which means the ground would have to be prepared before it was ready for the seed. And so it would be common for some of the seed to be scattered along the paths that are around the fields that surrounded the fields. And that's when the birds would swoop down and the farmer would walk on and the birds would be eating the seed as the farmer just continues to sow seed. They kind of know and expect that some of that seed is not going to take root. And, you know, in that region of the world, in much of the land in Palestine, there was only a thin layer of soil that was right over rock and Especially if it had not been plowed up first, there really was not a lot of space for that seed to take root. And even if it did, those roots could not go very deep because there was bedrock underneath there. And so, you know, they would recognize that as they are sowing seed, there are some places it's just not going to grow, but it doesn't stop them from sowing seed. And I think that's the important part that we have to remember when we're sharing the gospel. We are not responsible for the outcome there might be times where we are able to sow seed and we see an abundant amount of plants and we end up seeing a harvest and that's amazing. And then there are other times where it's going to fall by the wayside. Birds are going to come get it or it's going to fall on rocky soil, meaning there are people that are not going to be receptive to the gospel message. It doesn't keep us from sharing that message because what I believe is that Part of that process could be part of the plowing or the preparation of the soil that God's going to use for somebody else to come along and gain a harvest when they're ready. And, and I think sometimes there are some people that the first time they hear the gospel, their hearts have been, you know, plowed under the soil of their heart has been plowed under and they are ready to receive that word. And there are other people that it takes a while. They might have to hear it half a dozen times or, you know, a dozen times before they're ready to receive that word of God. The last part I want to mention is the thistles. Now, they would have typically been either burned or cut instead of being pulled out. And the roots have been left behind, which means they can grow up and choke the seed out or damage the nutrition that the seed is going to be getting. And so sometimes the thistles could grow taller than a meter, especially around the sides of the road. But I wonder what the thistles are in your own life. And I think it's so important to recognize that in order to truly deal with them, they have to be cut out at the root. Because otherwise, what happens? What do we see here? They sprout up and they can choke you out. And that means that there can be a lot of different kinds of thistles. If we're thinking metaphorically about this, thistles could be things like addiction, pornography, and lust, or gambling. There's a lot of people that have taken to gambling in the last couple of years, or, you know, a variety of things. Insert Roots in here. And what does it mean to cut them out at the root? Well, it means to get to a place where you have confess that to somebody. You've asked for accountability with somebody. And it's not just you and Jesus. Sometimes now sometimes you can deal with things between just you and Jesus, but sometimes you needed another believer in your life to offer you accountability, to hold you accountable and to cut that out of the root. And you know, sometimes that's a process. Sometimes it can happen super quickly and you just hand that over to the Lord and it's gone. And sometimes it's a process that takes you over and over and over surrendering that to God. But I want you to think, what are those thistles in your life and how can you deal with them at the root? And so I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread starting at verse one, given that I I hope that's helpful for you. It says, "...that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed." As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The disciples came and asked him, "'Why do you speak to the people in parables?' He replied, "'Because the knowledge of the secrets "'of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, "'but not to them. "'Whoever has will be given more, "'and they will have an abundance. "'Whoever does not have, "'even what they have will be taken from them. "'This is why I speak to them in parables. "'Though seeing, they do not see. "'Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. "'In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. "'You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. "'You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving.'" When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times to what was sown. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this parable of the sower and this understanding that it is not our responsibility to worry about the soil. It is our responsibility to cast the seed and And while we can do things to help prepare the soil of our hearts or prepare the soil of the hearts for those around us. Lord, help us to recognize that ultimately that's up to you. And it is our responsibility to just be obedient to share this gospel message. So Lord, I pray for my friend today that may have felt discouraged about how it's gone when they have shared the gospel message with other people. God, would you encourage them today? Would you remind them that their responsibility is to be obedient to you and what you've called them to do and to trust you with the outcome? God, we thank you that you love every single one of us, and you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. Lord, I pray for a blessing and a hedge of protection around everybody that's listening today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, friends. As we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things. We hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids' show, Every day, I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to SheHears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly.